the road to recovery. You might be cruising down it. A friend or family member lost on it. Or the road is, well, still under construction. Relevant Recovery Radio is about getting to that destination of normal health, mind, or strength. Now, Relevant Recovery Radio, here to give you the keys, Heather and Donnie Mosier. Hello. Welcome to this episode of Relevant Recovery Radio. Hello. Hello. I'm going to do a radio voice today the whole time. I suddenly need a divorce. (laughs) Uh, Welcome to the show. Uh, The Relevant Recovery Radio show is sponsored by the Matthews Hope Foundation. Uh, The foundation has a detox and two-year aftercare program inside St. Joe's downtown. If you'd like any information about our program, please give us a call at 844-263-4673 or visit matthewshope.org. And you are probably listening to us either on the radio in the H on KPRC 950 AM at 1 p.m. on Sundays, or you can download us and pick us up on the iHeartRadio app under Relevant Recovery Radio. Um, and so we also have, we have built, uh, they're mediocre at best, uh, an Instagram and a Facebook. Yes, Relevant Recovery Radio is now on Facebook and That's Instagram. Right. Please follow us, like us, share us, whatever. Yeah, so we are going to base all of our self-worth on whether or not you like our stuff and follow us. Right. Uh, I, I need your validation. Totally codependent Especially... upon Facebook and other social media. So you can go to Instagram <laughs> and you can find us under Relevant Recovery Radio or the same on Facebook. If you listened to last week's episode on unmanageability, you'll know that I seek validation through other humans at times, and so it really warmed my heart. It's a true story. She sat on a chair and stared at her phone for 17 hours last night. No. So, <laughs> Not true. We have a special guest in studio today. He's a friend of mine, Peter Maldonado. Welcome, Peter. Hey, thanks hey, for hey. having me, guys. So, Peter, you're the clinical outreach rep for Discovery Behavioral Health. Is that correct? That's right. So, who do you work for? What are they about? What do Great they do? Great question. So I joined DBH, Discovery Behavioral Health, June of last year. Um, we have a footprint here in Houston. We recently acquired the park, right. which is spelled P-A-R-C. Mm-hmm. Stands for Prevention and Recovery Center. Mm-hmm. Uh, formerly owned by Memorial Herman. Um awesome hospital great yeah you know mm-hmm. so but that was acquired in august of last year i joined the team june of last year okay. and have been helping scale that out and do stuff like this uh get the word out and let people know that recovery is possible and i think the, the park is one parc is one of the long-standing places here in houston with a really great reputation uh for recovery and 12-step base and, yeah, and, and alumni the the community when when the word got out the park got sold the park got Everybody sold was they like, were, what what are they going to do so is there going to be any real changes as far as if you're in recovery and you're going to meetings there I mean I know there was still the COVID, COVID measures stuff. but COVID normal stuff life normal life will return normal to life, yes. Discovery Health and people will do what they do absolutely so legacy it's you know Dr Degner uh, a lot of the great doctors practice out of there Dr uh, Flowers is Degner still there no. No, okay. No. Okay. But we still we have Degner Hall in his honor. Yeah. Okay. No. He and he was amazing because he was a doctor that had a lot of faith in the twelve steps. Absolutely. And he yep. really promoted it. That's, that's what why, made that place. And what that's it why is. the park has been so successful at helping people recover is because they do foster the twelve steps. They yeah. do foster the principles and encourage that and and push people or influence people towards that. So, so Discovery is going to continue to do yeah. that. Doctor Leith is still there. So mm-hmm. Doctor okay. Leith worked with Degner. Uh, he's our chief medical officer. 
um, identifies as a person in recovery himself. He's pretty mm. open about that. Pretty okay, cool. cool. Yes. Uh, okay. We still have the Dr. Bob and Bill W. mural in yeah. the hallway. <laughs> so, yes. Okay. That's so, you cool. may not know this about Donnie and I, but we are part honorary park alumni. A well, lot of people are. Honorary. <laughs> honorary. Yeah. So, yes. <laughs> I believe they, no, I believe that they've actually trashed that. I don't believe that we are allowed we are. back over we there. We got a certificate. So I found out uh, through the acquisition that we have over 27,000 registered alumni. Isn't that amazing? I so respect the job that the alumni does for the alumni, how it's really controlled by the alumni. Mm -hmm. And it's so successful. Pre-COVID, we'd go to some of those meetings with three, four hundred people, alumni in there. And Donnie and I used to teach Big Book and carry a message into the park on Tuesday nights for a couple of years. And and it was just amazing to be a part of that. You know, Uh, the park really does a lot of good. And so we're grateful for the park and grateful for them continuing what they're doing. So to answer your question, our hopes is to have a 2.0 version. We want to beef it up. We're investing in the people, in the uh, counselors. Yeah. The, uh, you're right. Um, the alumni program, it's its own entity. Yes. So it, it's technically a 501c3. It's its own. Right. Um, I participate and help out with them. We do sober softball events. Yeah. Um, a lot, lot of cool stuff. They do campouts. Mm-hmm. We went, mm-hmm. and Donnie spoke one year on one of the campouts and went to New Braunfels. They really just foster a really great fellowship and community, and I just value that so Especially much. Especially seeing them come in and seeing some of the detox people you know, go to the meeting. Yeah. And, and you know, I mean, all three of us know what it's like to be in detox. <laughs> yeah. And That's right. So yeah. you're shuffling around, you're on meds. Yeah. Uh, the Thorazine shuffle. And, That's and, right. And you'll probably hear like one thing, right? That yeah. makes sense. Or just like, yeah. you know, where, where recovery is possible or it, it, sometimes it's the most off, the, you know, like off the wall stuff. Yeah. But it'll stick with you. And it's like one of the aha moments I had was like, mm-hmm. every time I, I quote unquote relapse, like I do it sober. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're right. And that just blew my mind because I kept blaming it on the dope or, or the alcohol yeah. or whatever. And it's like, oh, yeah, of course I'm a hot mess. Like, I'm getting wasted. But it's like, anytime I've been sober for a little while, like, that insane thought comes, comes from, from sobriety. Un- untreated, right? Untreated alcoholism. That's right. that's right. And that was one of the most profound things for me when I, I got sober in Kerrville, but I went to a very similar place mm-hmm. for 30 days. And just being blown away with the understanding finally of the allergy and the obsession of the insane thought that precedes the first drink. It's not the fourth drink or the tenth drink that's the problem. It's the fact that I can't not do one and I make that insane decision sober, air quotes. Yes. Um, and that being, I always thought, you know, I had a heroin problem. And if I could just get heroin out of my life, then my life would get back on track. And then I was told, nope, you got a Heather problem <laughs> and right. heroin's just a symptom. And oh, it just blew me away. I was like, it gave me hope because I finally understood what was wrong with me for the first time ever. Even though your family had been telling you for most of your life. All my life, Heather was the problem, <laughs> right? I d- disregarded them. <laughs> it's, just, it's just more meaningful when there's uh, our own research. Isn't mm-hmm. I thought so too, because I've really just thought all heroin addicts die doing what they're doing. Like I, I expected to die is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. I didn't know I could get well and not be miserable sober. Oh, that yeah. was my biggest fear. Yeah. Is leave, living life mediocre, just like coasting. Oh. Yeah. How am I going to hang out? How am I going to barbecue? I, I tell Heather this all the time and I laugh about it. How am I going to drive in Houston without being messed up? Like, how am I going to do that? <laughs> Who does that? Need a road drink. <laughs> yeah, that, right. was a, that was a big fear for me. I'd rather go out and blaze a fire, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yep. I would too, but... We're going to take a quick break. We're here with Donnie and Peter. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Right back, guys.
Welcome back. Welcome. <laughs> You're listening to Relevant to Recovery Relevant Radio. Relevant Recovery Radio. Why are you talking over me? I'm your echo. Oh. You're the thorn in my side, that's for sure. We're here with Peter Maldonado uh, with Discovery Behavioral Health and the park. And you're the clinical outreach. So what is it that you do for them? I get to um, go out and talk to detox centers, clinicians, professionals, psychiatrists, doctors, you name it, and explain uh, what services we offer mm-hmm. and how we can help. Which is how I recently got to meet you we, finally. We met in person finally. <laughs> finally. Yeah, and we, I think we have some lineage I think so. connection mm-hmm. uh, uh, with, with the 12-step fellowship. Yes, I do think so with uh, the, he's deceased now, but we'll just say Mark H. Mark H, yes, yes. great mentor. One of the awesome. most powerful powerhouses for God I think the 12-step world has ever seen. He's dead, so you can say Mark Houston. Well, I just didn't want to, you know... Once they're dead. It's okay. No more anonymity. Well, I just wasn't... I didn't know if name-dropping was okay in general. He was a great teacher of the powerful spiritual program of whatever. Yes, if uh, no one's ever heard of him or listened to any speaker tapes, I encourage you, whether you're in recovery or not... Explains the disease of addiction very He explains it. If you have a loved one that's struggling with staying sober or is sober, but you just aren't a drug addict or alcoholic yourself. Kick them out immediately. That's what you just start. Go listen to uh, a Mark Houston tape. Uh, I think he died in 2012. 2010. 2010. Aneurysm. Yeah. Powerful house. Powerful guy for God. And I I just, we come from that uh, lineage or pedigree of the 12-step world. (laughs) And so... Small world. Yeah, it really is. And so I was excited to get to meet you. So how did your substance use disorder surface? How did it begin? Oh, about 15, 16. uh, It progressed really quickly. It started off with like just smoking weed. And I remember looking down at people who put stuff up their nose or injected stuff or did this, that, I'll never do that. And within a (laughs) nine-month period, (laughs) right? That was like a summer of of whatever year that was. And then by that New Year's, like I was, you know, smoking stuff out of light bulbs and uh, (laughs) snorting lines of different colored lines and and, and all sorts of stuff. But quickly, and in in a small town of East Texas where I'm from, Lufkin, Texas, I went to, I the, know a guy from Lufkin. The cops got to know me really well. <laughs> right? And it is a small town, so you it don't is. want that. Fun fact, it was a dry county at the time, <gasps> too. Yeah. Wait, what does a dry county mean? Meaning so, there's no alcohol being sold. They don't sell, so you can't go to a grocery store and buy alcohol. Anywhere. At that time, you have they to were cross dry. county lines. There's still a lot of dry counties in Texas. Well, I mean, I'm from Oklahoma, and you you had to go to a liquor store to buy any liquor. Not even in a dry the, the county. Liquor stores don't exist. They, oh, yeah, okay. No, there's no license for it. There That's wasn't. Right. Now, some dry counties they have some in Dallas where they don't sell liquor in a store. No liquor stores. No wine and beer sales. But you can buy a membership to a restaurant. To a restaurant. That's what? right. And drink there. Okay, so Peter, you found some loopholes and you crossed state lines. Well, to bring fun your... fact, uh, <laughs> because of that, there was a lot of bootleggers. So yes. there was people selling Moonshine. beer out of there. Well, no, just just go across county lines, buy a ton of beer, put it in the garage uh, oh. fridge, and um, they don't card people. Right. They don't, right. Yeah, they don't tend to card people. Yeah. So work from home, entrepreneur. That's right. You sell uh, your garage. And then, needless to say, it, it progressed really quickly. Um, drugs, uh, legal issues... All of my arrests were um, not 
drug related on paper, but they were because I would I would eat everything and, and yeah, they could never catch me with anything because they were they were all inside of me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I had no real drug charges and I, I figured that out after the seventh felony, Peter. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was like, I'm swallowing was, it. Now. <laughs> you are the, the dumbest criminal. I'm I know. the dumbest street <laughs> stupid criminal ever. But my addiction it progressed really quickly. Uh, before I knew it, I, I was uh, shooting cocaine speed yeah. um, in no time, and that expedite that just progressed really quickly i've noticed that that so i'm a i'm i'm a i call myself a garden variety drunk yeah um i did copious amounts of cocaine but it started because i would black out all the time just from drinking and so you and so i started doing cocaine so that i could stay with it longer and drink longer so it really was centered around drinking for me but you're not really like a drug addict no i'm i really would never class myself that way but what i say i mean what i've noticed is that as a drunk I went on to 41 before I got sober. But uh, us but drug w- addicts, we, we get brought to oh, our knees yeah. much quicker. Oh, and I've noticed it in the 12-step fellowship. Like when you see a young person come through the door, you just know it had they had some big amounts of drugs behind them because it the gets, you that, yeah, mm-hmm. gets you that spot quick. Yeah. quick. But there's that part in the doctor's opinion where it talks about men and women drink essentially because we like the effect produced, but but it talks about how we can't differentiate the true from the false. To us, our alcoholic life seems the only normal mm-hmm. one. And I think if you're alcohol only, you stay in that delusion that you don't have a bad problem much, much longer potentially mm-hmm. than a drug addict. Because well, like, like for me, someone who was an IV meth and heroin drug addict, I knew that that was socially unacceptable and yeah. I knew that that's something I should hide from society but alcohol is not viewed the same way Absolutely. even though it's just drink, as damaging yeah you can drink anywhere anytime it's not even that frowned upon to take a roadie like a lot of people do it and yeah. and I'm just taking a beer for the road or I'm, I'm making a drink you know we're headed to a, a barbecue pre-game, or pre-game yeah. Yeah. yeah but it's that's not even really that frowned upon so you can do it for a really, really long time, and but it's it was not... frowned upon when I needed a shot of dope to get out of bed. And and, and it's also uh, drinking is not as hard. I'm not going to go. I mean, I would have to do some real drinking in a night to die. Right. Where you take one bad shot of heroin and yeah. you're done. Right. You know? I think that the the. the... Illicit drugs bring you to your knees much quicker timeline-wise. I, I don't know what the average lifespan is for an alcoholic. Uh, I would imagine much longer, but with a heroin addict. 97 years. No, with oh. a, you always quote weird numbers. But uh, for a drug addict, for a heroin addict, it's seven years. Um, that's the average lifespan for a heroin Now, is that per the Biden administration or Trump? Because I want to know whether I'm not or getting to into it. that on this show. Oh. But anyways, back to Peter. Um, how did you find recovery? How, uh, how did so you... the great state of Texas offered me the opportunity <laughs> to go yeah. to treatment. They call that a nudge from the That's judge. That's right. They call it state, uh, what's it called? Oh, uh, Ethan used to call it state uh, mandatory state-funded adult timeout. Adult timeout. Adult timeout. Yep. And I got to do that for almost seven months in Austin, Texas. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was 2008, and... Started my journey there. Found yeah. the fellowship. Found uh, a group of men who guided me, who mentored me. Some good me. recovery. Austin, in Austin has too. some fantastic yeah. recovery. That's where I got introduced to Mark, um, mm-hmm. and just got involved in in the lifestyle, and it was awesome. I worked at a coffee shop down in, uh, on UT campus, and life was great. And I was, um, you know, 
walking through a bunch of fear around probation, all this stuff. Yeah. Uh, turns out it's it's really easy to be on probation when you're sober, when you're yep. yeah. who's recovered from a yeah. hopeless state of mind and body, and that was a breeze. Um, you can pass drug tests. It, yeah. And I was you excited. Up, you I show was up excited. for community service. I'm telling you, I was excited after 20-something years of working to take my first drug test sober. I was like, give me that cup. Yeah. I can't oh, wait dude, to yeah, do this. It was, it was, it's just a You're going to actually get my real pee this time. <laughs> And that led me to kind of working in this field because I was never one of those persons that was in treatment that was like, oh yeah, like, I'm gonna I'm gonna become a counselor. I'm right. I was like, I'm never gonna step foot in treatment ever again. Mm. Right. Like that was my approach. That was my idea. Like, screw this. This is not not for me. Um, but my uh, mentor, my spiritual advisor, strongly just hammered it in my head that I needed to get out of self. Right. Be in some kind of service work. And we were going to this detox center every Sunday to do a meeting, you know, um, it was great. Uh, I did it for almost a year, uh, before they were like, Hey, you show up all the time. Like you want a job. And that's how I started working as a tech in this field. And it was Halloween day, 2009 was my first day. How cool. uh, Yeah. On the job. Well, and and I think it's cool. Like, I think there's, it's a, it's definitely a double-edged sword, right? To work in treatment and to be in recovery, yeah, oh yeah. Because you have the one side of the sword that is, I get to live in and work in this thing that saved my life, that yeah. gave me a life I could never imagine. And you're very passionate. That's right. right. The other side of that sword is, if I'm not careful, if I don't focus on my recovery and I start letting my job be my recovery, mm-hmm. I've seen so many That's people go out. That's the biggest mistake people who are in recovery and work in treatment make. I give it two, three years, uh, you know, that I've seen people hang on, but they get so overwhelmed or inundated with living recovery, but it, but part of it's for a paycheck, right? And yeah. so then they're so tired of recovery, air quotes, that they don't want to go home and sponsor people or go to that home group or have that service commitment because they've been doing recovery all day and talking about recovery all day. And it's a scary place. We see it a lot. We see it. I, I worry about that with you all the time. I think I'm good. Oh. We're going to take a quick break, though. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Relevant Recovery Radio. We'll be right back. I'm going to counselor during our break. <laughs> Welcome back. You're listening to Relevant Recovery Radio. You're listening to Relevant Recovery Radio. So you're listening to Relevant Recovery Radio on KPRC AM 950 in Houston on Sundays at one o'clock. Or the iHeart. Oh yes, in Houston or the iHeart Radio app. All of our episodes are there. Here's the other thing too: if you go to the iHeart Radio app, I didn't know this. So we keep saying if you're just in Houston, but actually KPRC is has, on the iHeart app. And so that's how we listened to it last Sunday when you really wanted to hear how well you sounded. That's not true. But um, yes, you can actually listen to it Sundays at 1 on KPRC, which is So if you're not on, in Houston, yeah, you yep. can listen to it anywhere. But either way. And then you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Relevant Recovery Radio. Yeah. So welcome back to Peter. Relevant Recovery Radio. And we are sitting here with Peter Maldonado. So we got with, I got some cool like hot seat questions for Peter that I think I just like these I kind of questions. <laughs> no, I didn't prep him this at is all. great. <laughs> And so, Peter, how long did you take to work all 12 steps the first time? Uh, great question. I Two or three months. See? 
while in treatment. Right. And yeah. I think that that's because so he was in Austin. Right. Solid recovery people, people that know the literature, have a really, really great foundation, know that this is meant to be worked quickly. Well, I, I, can't, I don't have the luxury of time. Right. Why? Because I'm going to use. Right. And so I think that that's so important because in watered down 12-step world or even sometimes clinical world, you'll hear those things of like, just take your time with the steps. Or one or step a month. One step a month. Don't oh, sponsor God. for a yeah. year. And I think how arrogant for someone to say I think Bill had 11 that. days when you found Dr. Bob. Yep. Right? yep. Yeah. And then Ebby right. had two months when and he went they, to and Bill. And then they had two or three days when they went to Bill Dodson. Yeah. Dr. Bob had a couple days when they uh, did AA number three, Bill Dodson. Yeah. And so when you look at the quickness of the first 100 that were 75% there success rate. There was just rate, never a time on it. It was like, hey, you have no solution. Let's get to it as quickly as possible. I think possible. it's about understanding adequately the problem, which is the allergy and the obsession, particularly the mental twist. The fact that I don't have a choice. I'm on borrowed time and the only relief is guaranteed to me by step 10 those step 10 promises so if i'm pre-10 it's likely after five but guaranteed by 10 so it's like if step 10 is the life raft why would i waste 10 months stringing this out to get you there i i didn't use that way are you i know have you ever heard of the two-fold solution versus a three-fold solution that's a good hot seat question okay so are you two-fold or three-fold three-fold Boom. You get to stay in studio. <laughs> you get to stay in. Now, listen, I was twofold for a long time. And I moved here from Curve. I'm like, oh, you're so wrong. But, but here's why. But my sponsor corrected me on oh, this. Hold on. What? We got to explain for our yeah, audience. Yeah, high level. What is twofold versus threefold? All right. So only big book thumpers would even debate this, but twofold. Me- and that is called the, the, the original 12 step fellowship nerds. <laughs> yes, the nerds of, that love it, the literature. And then we can go into recovering over recovered if you want. Oh, I'd love that. Oh, Lord. <laughs> this is going to be good. <laughs> Start throwing so, stuff in the studio. <laughs> uh, the argument is twofold is only allergy and obsession. You'd have to know what those are. The threefold argument is allergy, obsession, and spiritual malady. And so when she started pushing this on me like a drug, I'm like, look, I'm twofold. I can explain allergy and obsession all day long. My problem with it is that every human on this planet has malady. That's true. Right? But I didn't understand how the unmanageabilities fit into that and how that spiritual problem fit into. I do only have two qualifying questions. Mm -hmm. When I'm drinking or drugging, do I have little to no control over the amount I'm going to take? Or when I want to quit for good? Can, can stay I stay stopped? stopped? And right, so that's that's our qualifying Those question. Two, yes, but they lead into the third fold, or the third problem is, is that I have a spiritual malady. I, I'm all humans do. I it. am disconnected from God. I'm not relying on God on my in my day to day life. Uh, I'm not getting my. Um, my fix from God. I'm getting it from people, places, and things. Which last week's episode was completely about that exact topic, spiritual malady, so we won't go into that too much. But I want to say I agree with both twofold and threefold, even though I'll say threefold. I just couldn't explain it. But I can explain now it. Now I can. But here's my argument from the other side of the pancake, though, Peter, is that if you go into it just explaining spiritual malady, so many people that are not chronic drug addicts or alcoholics are be like, oh, that's me. I've, I've always felt like I didn't fit in. I've always yeah. felt different. Mm-hmm. I've always struggled with anxiety or depression. And so I agree with what Donnie's saying. It's very important that we understand the only two qualifying questions to be a chronic alcoholic or drug addict is the allergy and the obsession, choice and control. But in addition to that, you're also spiritually sick. And so we'll go into like, you know, page 64, when the spiritual maladies overcome, we straighten up mentally and physically. There's a spiritual fix for all three problems. Right. And the point of all this was to, to get this across, right? Yep. To to the alcoholics and, or addicts sitting in front of, uh, across from you. Yep. That's the whole reason, I mean, any of this is important. 
Right. 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 And just because we're nerds and we like to argue over it. I love to argue with you. (laughs) So, Peter, in your experience, what was or is the most impactful or profound step that you worked of the 12 steps? First time through or multiple times through? Anytime. All right. It was a so awesome question because I felt like I was going through the work for the first time when I was guiding someone through the work. For yeah. Because oh, yeah. you have no choice but to go through the work when you're guiding someone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a lot of it was like, I didn't believe it was coming out of my mouth. I was like, <laughs> right? what the? And for me, uh, I can best describe it as being connected and being a vessel. Yeah. yeah. Like being used as a channel. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I knew um, I had a lot of prejudices and, and a lot of stuff against religion and God and all that. So we'll get more into that later. But... In that moment, I couldn't deny what was happening. Mm-hmm. Right. I couldn't deny that there was something beyond me happening because mm-hmm. it's like, oh my God, could you, you know, is this really happening? Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm a screw up. What are you talking about? <laughs> right? Like, yeah. I so, so it was undeniable at that point. My, for me too, the 12th step was the most impactful and profound thing that has happened in my recovery as a result of working with others. I never felt useful or I remember reading or, you know, finding something in the book or saying something that came out of my mouth and I'm like, I didn't even know I knew that. And I knew that God was passing from me to her and, and I knew that that... God was doing something with me in my life to help other people that I had never experienced the spiritual high of what that is. And so we're real big on sponsorship and we're real big on talking about the 12th step being sponsorship, not service work, because I think that's such a misconception uh, in the 12 step world. Uh, people think, oh, I'm of service. Oh, cool. But I led 27 meetings last week. <laughs> I got 16 home groups. But uh, but the point is, it says nothing ensures immunity from drinking. Is, but that's intense, a hefty promise. Intensive work with other alcoholics. That's a hefty promise. Yeah, but Peter, like it says us. next, it works when other activities fail. And so all the other activities that people are busy he doing it pull out my relapse prevention plan exactly <laughs> my my card my, my triggers list right <laughs> yeah. you know i had to make a car index card of reasons to stay sober and obviously my did, ki- kids how did that work out for you so i actually went off on that counselor i'm not proud of the way i behaved but right. but i'm saying but can you think of one reason one external reason that could actually keep you sober if you did not have a connection to god no, but I didn't understand that at the time Same. when I was ignorant to the illness. I mean, that's legit, right? Like, it's, I cannot think of it. I was, I was facing prison. I lost my children yeah. that I loved more than life. I've got a 28-year career, and I was probably around 20, 21 years into it, and I'm looking at, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in an IT field that I have the keys to the kingdom, and if I have anything on my record, when I go to get a job, they're looking at... Not just my resume and my background, but they do credit checks, real background Boy, did they, checks. Boy, do they research who you married? Because No, no, thank goodness. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, I was looking at losing my whole career, and I was facing state prison time, and it didn't stop me from drinking. But that's the point when the book talks about frothy emotional uphill. Like, p- people like me and Peter and you, we can't stay sober based on motivation or consequences or desire or willpower. That stuff doesn't work. And the or reason would have. Right. right. And the reason I say this, the reason I dove off into that is because the 12th step. I keep thinking in my life that I just, here's the, here's the micro steps I need to get where I want to go, right? I always have a plan. 
And and what the fellowship showed me was like, cool, you can have that plan, but you set it on the side because if you want to get close to God, there's no micro steps. The step is go work with others. Go work with others. Go help people. Mm -hmm. And that is how you build your relationship with God. And that is what's going to keep you sober. And you are going to learn. I love what you said. I learned the most about the steps taking other men through it. Because being guided through the work, it's it's really easy to kind of hesitate or am I doing this right? What's happening? Um being the one guiding someone through, it's just it's undeniable yeah 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 i and, can't hide it from myself and did god pick different steps for you to learn like just at random with different guys you're sitting down with like like a certain step like i remember one of the first guys i sat down with step four man something clicked and then maybe in the next guy it was step you know eight or nine you know what i mean it was just real random the way i just a lot. Of, I mean, it was real, really coincidental where it's like something I recently went through or something I didn't like to talk about or something that whatever it was. Right. It was relevant to helping this person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and that's where the whole like everything made sense. I felt whole. I was like, oh, that happened for a reason. And, yeah. and I get to be of service with that. Um, it, it A lot of times it was coincidental. Like, oh, I just went through that with, with the girlfriend or, or, or yeah. With whatever. Yeah. And it was just like, oh now I get to help you with that. <laughs> like literally God is like, I'm going to deal with your issue when you sit down to deal with somebody else. That's what I'm going to do. Because I find that so common. You get a girl through 11 steps and then there's like this weird energy of a sponsee still wanting to meet with you and continue that relationship regularly. But you're saying, no, go sponsor people. And then they may say, well, but I have this cropping up in my life. And I'm like, yeah, and God's going to deal with you on it by you going and sponsoring someone because I promise you, you're going to sit across from someone with that issue and you're going to have to find what the book says and you're going to have to guide yeah. this person. I, I knew there was a shift when I was calling my sponsor and asking for guidance on how to work with a sponsor. Yep, yep. Yeah. It's amazing. That was just <laughs> pivotal. My sponsor says that's where I want to hear from you the most. All right, so we are going to take a quick break. Uh, we'll be back with Relevant Recovery Radio here in just a minute. We are sitting here with Peter Maldonado in studio. And me. And I get to stare at my beautiful wife across the, across the desk here. So, Peter, I, I just, I found it, and our passion, Heather and I's passion is sponsorship and working with others. We've just seen the most. Spiritual growth. From in it. that. And so here's, I wanted to, t- to wrap that up with a bow as we move on to the next. And that was this, you know, we talked about that. The, the book says that nothing so ensures immunity is intensive work with another alcoholic. What they're saying is to sit down and work the steps yeah, with them. Yeah, intensive work. <clears throat> and so many people want to argue that, well, I, you know, that's not really my thing. Mm-hmm. What I like to do is lead meetings and chair meetings. Well, I and, drive people. I'm of service. And all of that's Good great. Good for you. You or, should be doing that. Right. But that's not the 12th step. Or you have that sponsee that's like, hey, I want to work the steps for the 17th time this year. But I'm not going to sponsor anybody else. And it, just, and it clicked to me. It, like, it goes back Selfishness. in... It's a Pharisee thing. It's a Pharisee thing. You know what it is? Is that I fall more in love with all of these process things, these things, instead of what the real goal is. And the goal is to get connected to that power. Through altruism, through selflessness. And so what they want to do is they want to worship the rules. And the book. The gameplay and all that. But they forget that the real goal of all of this is to love God and let God love me, right? To get out of my own way. Because ego and pride are the biggest two uh, 
things that we deal with as recovered or recovering alcoholics and drug addicts, that right? Separate us. That separate us from God. And so when we look at that in context, it's it's so easy for your ego to get wrapped up in how many service commitments you have or how much you're doing for people or right. or how many home groups or how many party chairs really, you're on. You know, people don't like religion. People don't like the religiosity, right? All mm-hmm. the rule following, the do's, the don'ts. But that's what happens in AA. Oh, all the time. they fall in love with the religiosity of it, all of the, the legalism, things, the and they forget the goal is to get, get to connected God. to God, right? I think that people... I think that in, was in a book on page 43, right? Uh, the main purpose of this book is to connect you to a power greater than yourself that will solve your problem. Yes, yep. yes. And lack I of think powers it's, it's just... You know, people get so sketch in 12-step meetings about... I mean, really, it's almost frowned upon if you want to talk about steps or God. It, it's really weird. <laughs> we carry our books meetings. to the meeting, and we get looks for carrying our books to oh, the meeting. Oh, y'all are those know? people. I'm like, what are we studying then? <laughs> what are we talking about? Are we just pontificating in a bad process group? What the heck are we doing here? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so let's wrap that up, because I could go on and on about memorizing the menu. And then we'll just start yet. screaming in the microphone at all those people. Because <laughs> we call it memorizing the menu and starving to death. Right, like That's from it, my buddy Matt. Matt, shout out to Matt. So, Peter, have you finished all your amends, and which one had the biggest impact on you? Um, I feel like I have a lot of living amends that I'm still working on with people who've been deceased or, yeah. or people who are no longer around, or some people who I legally could not contact. Right, right, right. <laughs> right? Yeah, a um, few of those. So, and I feel like one of the biggest that was impactful in the beginning was. Uh, I have two stories. One was was with my mom, um, for sure. You know, she would pick me up from county. She, you know, enable me, give me money. Yeah. Uh, at the end, there, it's like it was. I wasn't even hiding. It was like, yeah, I need this for coke. Like, I need money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was so paranoid that she would drive me. Yeah. Um. So when I when I made the approach, um, she's like, I, I just want my son back. Mm. Mm. I, that was the one thing I stole from her. I've gone through her pocketbook. I've gone through jewelry. I've gone through pawning. Yeah. I've gone through. And she's like, I want the one thing you stole from me. So Prior to sitting down with her, how big did you make this whole ordeal in your mind? You know what I mean? Like, I, I always <sighs> foreshadow this meeting with this person. In my mind, they're like lacing me up and they're angry. And I, I was sit just down nervous. there like, I was trying to calculate how much they spent on treatment, how much they spent on yeah. legal issues. Like, the stuff I, was I stole. Getting and ready punk. to work out, you know, a business deal as far as like, right. you know, as we do a payment plan, right? Yeah. How yeah. do I get this back to you? Yeah. I did that with my dad uh, over a year and a half, a 3000 that uh, he had specifically asked for me to pay him back. Um, and, and it was so good for me and God to complete that. It just felt like I was finally somewhat, maybe the daughter he deserved, (laughs) you know? So to this day, I'm still calling my mom and asking how she's doing. Yeah. Yeah. Called her this morning. Um, and it's just awesome to not be in self. Is she in Houston? No, she's in Lufkin, Texas. She's in Lufkin. Yeah. How often are you able to get back and see her? I and... saw her a few weeks ago. Uh, she's a huge Astros fan, so Aww. I tried to get her to baseball games. We went to pre-COVID. We went to a Mother's Day game. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully trying to do that again soon. Now that things are loosening up a little bit from the yeah. uh, scamdemic. Yeah. And then another huge... Um, I don't, do we have time for her? Yeah, go ahead. Um, another cool amends that was super profound. I was just... Um, 
I stole a flag, a U.S. flag, uh, from a church. Oh, uh-huh. uh, I was just really high on acid and, and ended up waking up with it one day, yeah. wrapped around me like a superhero. <laughs> a long story, but um, it was a Mother's Day, and I was visiting home, and I was going through a box of old things, and, and in the box was a neatly folded flag, American flag. Mm-hmm. Right away, I knew where it came from. I was like, oh, God. Like, And it was Mother's Day Sunday, and it was like, I know there's people at this building that I stole this from, right? Because uh-huh. it's Sunday. So uh, immediately grab it, drive to this church, small Lufkin, East Texas, Southern Baptist. Just, and I have a lot of quarrel, a lot of prejudice, a lot of just not so cool vibes when it comes to religion, organized right. religion, how it's recognized in Western culture. I'll, I can go on a tangent. But um, here I am, right? I'm like, all right, if I, need, if I want to be free, like I have to do this. And I was really humbled by this because, again, I have a lot of ideas and opinions around religion all that stuff but i knew all that had to be set aside if i was going to make this right and and to make this right was for me to be free and i I thoroughly understood that so i went up and and returned this flag and this and this guy's like will you pray with me son and i was like oh god (laughs) everything i did not want in my life yeah but if I'm to be free, right, um, this is what's asking me in the yeah. moment. Yeah. So I was able to set aside prejudice, able to set aside and and, and genuinely pray with this guy. Yeah. And have a moment. And have a moment of presence. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I was able to make Because he things. was trying to show you forgiveness. And again, a lot of prejudice, a lot of anger. I hated growing up in East Texas, the influence, mm-hmm. the, just all of that. Um, now, now, you mentioned freedom. If I want freedom... So based on your amends, see, a lot of people that are going through the steps the first time or or just going through the steps, they look at it as a checklist. All right, one, done, two, done, three, done, you know, nine. Okay, made those amends, move on. But there's something that happens there. Like, tell me about the, yeah. oh, the freedom that you that you got out of that. I like, was turned the on by that, and I wanted to make more amends. Yes. Right. I was hungry. I was like, how, how many more of these can I do? Yep. To, to, and I've got more stories around corporate stores that I stole from and all sorts of different stories and um, going back and making that right, it never went according to plan. Right. <laughs> never went according to plan. Right. It, right. Was always, it went according to God's plan, though. It was always though. better. Yeah. Right, right, because we tend to think the worst about it. So right. let me ask you this. Give me a give me a minute rundown on how your life is today as a result of the twelve steps and and, and God in your life today. And not just your external, but your internal. I've yeah. I've gone through a lot of, of of phases, you know, going from the bleeding deacon to the elder statesman, and, and <laughs> yeah. just yep. a lot of you know. What is ideas. the elder statesman like? I've heard about. We're this. still in the bleeding deacon phase. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, a lot more live and let live, and, and people have the right to be as miserable as they want, yeah. right? Or as free as. They but want. when does live and let live? become apathy uh-oh she's uh-oh. trying to quote the big dude chris r <laughs> no sorry go ahead, go ahead. um man i that's that's a hard question to answer in just a short time i'm uh, i'm happily married now uh i have a relationship with my daughter um mm. uh, have an awesome stepdaughter who we don't even use the word step in the family oh, that's um, great i love so that i love being a girl dad softball yeah. games um Man, the list goes on and on. Career path, uh, college dropout who is doing pretty well for himself and his family. Um, God's just restored all of it. So much. So, <laughs> and not just that, but like being cool with who I am inside. Exactly. 
That's well, it right there. That's having it right there. Like concerts in my car by myself, mm-hmm. like just yep. you know, having fun with people, um, being nice to people, yeah, uh, kind of experiencing some of that contagious where you're nice and someone else is nice, and and it's like super cool turning someone's day around. Yeah. I love it, Peter. If someone wants to contact you or Discovery Behavioral, call me to- directly. You'll you'll get to hear my voice if you call nine three six two four zero thirty three zero six. You have a website. Uh, discoverybh.com you can find me on Instagram imtxsoberyogi.com Sober Yogi I like it Yeah. Okay. <laughs> thank you Peter for being our guest thank you to our listeners this has been a, a excellent episode of Relevant Recovery Radio and we hope you tune in next week and listen and don't forget those who stand for nothing will fall for anything hashtag God though God though see you next week